Matt Rogers got into the produce business through Whole Foods Market, where he spent 13 years working on global produce deals and also handled social, environmental, and food safety issues for the corporate produce team. He roamed Mexico, Central, and South America, meeting growers and seeing some of the best and the worst labor standards and practices. That's led to today as co-founder and general manager of Ag Socio, the first farm labor contractor to receive EFI verification of the highest labor standards in its pilot program. Hey, I'm Amy Souter, your host for the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. We deliver fresh takes on keeping your business and your life healthy, full of fresh fruits and vegetables. Today's episode continues a partnership we have with Equitable Food Initiative, or EFI for short. EFI works with retailers and growers to create a transparent supply chain, a safer food system, and healthier work environments. These episodes focus on the improvements companies and their people make that elevate workers and create better working conditions. In this episode, we learn more about Ag Socio, an agricultural labor and service provider operating in California and Arizona, founded on the vision that farm labor contractors could successfully operate ethically, justly, and transparently while being competitive. So let's join the chat with Leanne Rhodes Ruzamenti, EFI's Director of Marketing and Communications, as she talks with Matt. I'm Leanne Ruzamenti with the Equitable Food Initiative, and joining me today is Matt Rogers from AgSocio. AgSocio is an agricultural labor and service provider operating in California and Arizona, and it was founded on the vision that farm labor contractors could successfully operate ethically justly and transparently while being competitive. Today, we're gonna to explore Matt's background in retail, what he hoped the industry would accomplish in developing the ethical charter on responsible labor practices. And for those of us working in produce, give us a better understanding of the labor supply chain, H2A and much more. And for full disclosure, Matt sits on EFI standards committee, which oversees the development of the certification standards for farming operations. And AgSocio just recently became the first farm labor contractor to complete an initial verification to EFI's labor contractor standards. And that was a lot of work, Matt. So congratulations on that front. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Why don't we get started by you giving us a bit of your background in fresh produce? Well, I got into the produce business through Whole Foods Market where I spent 13 years working on global produce deals for them and also handled uh, social, environmental, and food safety issues uh, for the corporate produce team. And, you know, through that work, I was all over the United States. I was um, all over Mexico, Central and South America, and got to meet uh, some of the best growers in the business. And I saw a lot when it came to comes to labor standards, um, the best and worst practices probably. And um, a lot of that formed sort of the vision uh, for Ag Socio. Sure. Yeah. Can you paint 
the picture of how labor providers work and give us some background on H2A. Kind of, I know it might come through that lens of Whole Foods, but that would be really helpful. Yeah. Um, well, labor providers, you know, also known as farm labor contractors, and they go by, you know, different terms because it really is, you know, the produce industry is very diverse um, depending on geography and what crop or commodity you may be talking about. The labor needs are very different. Um, and there are all kinds of different companies that serve this sort of third party employer role. Um, and you can see, you know, the reason for it, there are various reasons why the model is becoming more and more popular. Uh, it's been around for a long time, um, third-party labor contracting. And if you think about, you know, growers' need are often very seasonal, very specific. They might need a lot of people for a particular activity. Maybe it's harvest, or maybe it's like a pruning activity or something like that. They don't need them every day, all season. They need them at certain times. And um, it's hard to maintain all of that direct employment. So it can become very useful to have a company that specializes in employing people with a particular skill. And, and, and frequently, that company will also provide the type of equipment that's needed to do a certain task. So they can come in and do provide that service of people and the equipment for a whole lot of growers at different times when they need it and in the process provide full-time employment for the people who are doing the work and save the grower all the administrative burden of trying to hire people and lay them off and hire them and find them again. And all those people would need to go running around working for all sorts of different growers. So it's this kind of um, ability to, um, to play that intermediary sort of buffer role on the employment side. It's also a highly regulated industry these days, you know, providing agricultural labor in in California, being an agricultural uh, employer in this state, California, where we primarily operate, we operate elsewhere. Um, and each state is different, but um, it's really a specialty task. I mean, it's very difficult. You need you need a lot of HR experience to be able to properly hire people uh, and employ them in compliance with all the rules, um, federal and state level, uh, that you might encounter. And it's, you know, frankly, beyond the scope of what a lot of growers can accomplish with their in-house staff and what they're able to do. Um, so it, it also makes sense to maybe specialize, you know, have companies that specialize in just that kind of thing. Um, and that can then provide that service to growers. And they don't really have to worry too much about um, the, the rules and regulations. They can sort of expect that their company that they're hiring um, will, will take care of all that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, especially from a cost efficiency standpoint, it's just the, the model itself. Um, so when you were working at Whole Foods, what were you seeing in the marketplace that led you to the, the vision of Ag Socio? What were you really hoping to accomplish? Well, part of my job while I was at Whole Foods was working on what we called quality standards then, and, and Whole Foods still uses that term, sort of Think of it as like kind of the supplier requirements. What are the questions that suppliers have to answer? What's the type of information they need to provide in order to qualify as a supplier um, to Whole Foods Market? And during during part of my time there, we were really trying to dig deeper on labor um, as as one of the things that we were looking at, really like environmental impact. Obviously, we're looking at food safety. Um, you understand? We're always obviously looking at quality, but we wanted to also understand labor practices. And we kept bumping into. People who would say, well, I really don't know. I don't have that information. I can't really control that. 
it all works through these labor contractors and started saying, well, what, you know, I started learning about labor contractors and the more growers that I talked to, I realized, and, you know, also being exposed to a lot of workers through our work with EFI when I was at Whole Foods, our work with Fair Trade, other programs, I started to see that many labor contractors were not serving growers well and were not serving the workforce well. And I thought that we saw, I saw an opportunity to do um, something that would provide better service to both, right? Be a better intermediary, provide a better work environment, a better workforce, um, and to provide a better service to growers. I think this is a good time to bring in some discussion around the ethical charter on responsible labor practices. Um, for those of you listening who don't know, in 2015, after a Los Angeles Times expose showed pretty terrible working conditions on farms in Mexico that were exporting produce to the U.S., the industry formed a joint committee on responsible labor practices and ultimately created the ethical charter. And, and Matt, you were involved in that. So I would love to hear a bit about your participation in developing the ethical charter on responsible labor practices and you know, I don't know that you want to speak for the industry as a whole, but what was everyone hoping to accomplish with that? Well, it was a very interesting process for me. At that time, I was working for Whole Foods Market and I represented Whole Foods as a retailer on that committee, along with um, some of the other uh, much bigger retailers in the industry and other buyers, including some of the uh, food service uh, companies and, and, um, and restaurant, big restaurant buyers. And the group was sort of multi-stakeholder in that there were some labor contractors, many growers, um, some attorneys, sort of legal labor experts, and um, and then people from the retail and purchasing side. And the idea was to try to discuss um, what could realistically be done to try to address some of the worst practices that do exist in the produce industry labor supply chain. And, you know, a lot of that was laid bare at the time by uh, the series in the LA Times uh, that exposed um, labor conditions in Mexico that nobody really wants in their supply chain. Um, and, you know, so the, it was a multi, it was a series of many meetings over, I can't remember how long, um, trying to figure out how we as that committee representing these trade associations could try to thread the needle across to figure out how to move, how to, how to move things forward and improve practices across such a big, broad, global supply chain where the issues are so different and they land so differently from minimum wage to, uh, you know, housing requirements and recruiting standards and uh, health and safety issues are so different across this country and let alone across, you know, the produce industry supply chain is obviously global. Um, so it was complicated to try to figure out what could really be done that would be meaningful. And, you know, the outcome was, was the ethical charter, which, which ends up being this sort of commitment to principles that uh, many players in the industry have now committed to. And, um, you know, the question is now how, how to, you know, implement it and really kind of make it real. 
Yeah. And, and I feel like the industry is just getting started on that. Um, and I think the work you're doing at Ag Socio with like the EFI verification, right, is a way to really prove how um, your company is, is aligned to the ethical charter. So with all that as background, your experience, the realities of the labor market, the ethical charter, um, your hopes for Ag Socio setting a new bar for labor providers to provide really great experiences for both the growers and the workers. Can you sum up what those of us working in the fresh produce industry should know and think about when it comes to labor providers? Yeah, well, I can certainly, I mean, I think that the, the you know, labor is hidden back in the supply chain for many players in the industry. I mean, uh, from, you know, the, the, a buyer sitting in a, in a retailer or food service, you know, corporate office is very removed, but even shippers or, you know, the brands that are marketing produce are multiple layers removed frequently from where the labor really is employed. So um, I think beginning on some due diligence and for, for people who are managing supply chains, you know, to start thinking about the labor supply chain, um, where are the, who are the people who are touching your product along the way and how are they employed? Uh, and, you know, you can start asking just some simple questions um, about, you know, is H2A, you know, are H2A guest workers present in your supply chain? Are there... Are they employed? Are the people employed directly by growers, or are they employed by a farm labor contractor? If by a farm labor contractor, are they properly licensed? How are they recruiting people? I mean, there are some sort of basic due diligence questions that buyers, brands, growers with other third-party growers, importers, whoever you may be, there are sort of basic questions that you can and really should be asking about your labor, about the labor in your supply chain. Um, because it's really, you know, it's, it's, it's a different dynamic than just the flow of, of product, which can be hard enough to track, um, let alone all the different hands that touch it and the ways that they may be employed or who they're employed for along the way. Excellent, excellent points. Um, since these episodes that we do for Tip of the Iceberg focus on people, one thing that I love to bring into our discussions is what a typical day looks like. You know, we're usually talking to a single operation. In Ag Socio's instance, it's a bit different because you could have workers in lots of different operations working on a variety of produce and crops. Um, but can you give us some insight into what a typical, maybe a season or a day looks like for the workers that Ag Socio recruits, trains, and places on farms? Yeah, I can certainly try. Yeah, I mean, our work our, our work varies by season and by grower. We, you know, we're working in leafy greens. We're doing harvesting. We're doing grower side work like weeding and irrigation and tractor work. We also do a lot of strawberry harvest, so all kinds of, of different things. But generally, um, our program, we, we specialize in, in, in providing um, ethical and efficient access to the H-2A program. So we primarily employ H-2A guest workers, which means... And we are also providing housing. So that's a, one of the requirements of the program. So the life of a, of a, of a team member at Ag Socio, the day is going to start at the housing location and it ends at the housing location when we bring them back at the end of the day. Um, so a, uh, a worker in our group, uh, one of our team members will receive a dispatch note the night before uh, or the afternoon before telling them 
what time their transportation will leave in the morning. They're going to take our transportation, um, where they're going to be working that next day and what job they're going to be doing. Um, that morning, they report out at the given time to the parking lot of the housing where their van or bus will be waiting for them with our driver employed uh, by Ag Socio behind the wheel. Um, we will go off to work. Uh, they'll be driven to the work site, which will be a ranch of some sort somewhere, um, you know, typically within 30, 40 minutes at the most from a, from a work from a housing location. And uh, they'll go work for the day, start off with exercises. Everybody punches in. We use digital timekeeping. So you get out of the, um, out of the van and, when the, you know, for the, at the time that the work is, is scheduled to start, people will punch in, do our exercises and go off to do whatever task it is that we're doing that day. It might be a large crew of 30, 40 people working together, it might be a solo operator running a tractor, uh, might be a small group of people doing some irrigation work. Uh, but then at the end of their shift, they will load back into the company provided transportation and get a ride back to um, housing and uh, do it again the next day. Excellent. I that gave us such a great look at what Ag Socio does too, because you're having to connect all the dots. And that's just when the worker's there, right? We didn't even touch on the whole recruiting process and education process. How long do workers typically come <clears throat> and work for Ag Socio in over the season? Well, it varies. You know, the an H2A contract can be no longer than 10 months. Hours tend to be um, in, in the sort of our longer summer season, um, tend to be seven or eight month contracts here in sort of the Salinas Valley, Monterey County area where we do uh, a lot of work. Other contracts in other areas are shorter based on seasonality. Um, so we'll have, you know, contracts of anywhere from four months to eight months. And, um, and, um, you know, every, all those terms are established in advance. So with, a, with an H-2A contract, the, the employee is literally working on a written legally binding contract that we've signed with them that guarantees them a certain number of hours, guarantees them a certain wage, uh, and all the other conditions that are part of the H-2A program, free housing, free transportation. So all of that stuff is packed into a contract, which we're then uh, we then focus on uh, on fulfilling and complying with, making sure that everybody understands it. It's a two way street, um, and so we have sort of ongoing conversations with all of our team members about that as we go and make sure that we're all on the same page. That is so helpful because, as you said, this H two A program has just been growing in fresh produce. So I think for those growers who there's still some you know mystery around it, that was really helpful. All that description. So Matt, that brings us to the end, unless there's any last words you'd like to leave us with. Well, the only other thing I'll, I'll leave you with is just that this is a humbling business and we don't claim any sort of perfection. We were just trying to do our best for our workforce and for our growers and uh, see if we can provide them with a valuable service. We sort of believe that if we can do right by the workforce and invest in them, train them, um, and commit to them and show our commitment to doing things right, that they will be, um, they will come back to us and they will want to work here. They'll be motivated, they'll be bought in, and we can therefore provide a better service to the growers that we work for. Um, but it's, a, it's an adventure every day. And we are just out here trying to do our best, 
Um, and I really appreciate my second comment. It's just that I really appreciate EFI for creating this pilot program and sort of experimenting with bringing farm labor contractors into the mix of third-party certification programs. Because while there are many, many rules, regulations, and laws, um, they are not appropriately enforced. And it is hard to stand out. And part of our mission is to be better and to be different than many companies. There are many professional farm labor contractors who do a good job and who run a compliant operation. There are many who do not. And it's hard to tell one from the other. And uh, this verification with EFI is one more thing that we can do to show that we really are trying to be different, that we are compliant, and to show our customers that we're investing in not just that transparency, but also that we're investing in our workforce and that we believe that by engaging with the workforce, we can provide a better service to them is as labor gets more and more and more expensive, um, we all need that extra productivity edge that comes from teamwork and comes from having everybody rowing in the same direction. Um, and, and I think this, you know, the EFI model helps us access some of that. So I really appreciate the opportunity to have gone through this pilot. I hope it continues, but we have learned a lot through the process and we're grateful. Yeah, of course, having anything that really helps create transparency in the industry is important because, as you said, it's it's sometimes difficult to ascertain what's being done behind the scenes. But Matt, Ag Socio is so great at putting the, the people first and working out from that. So, again, congratulations and thanks so much for your time today. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. I found it fascinating how Matt had a retailer perspective on what retailers want from suppliers as far as their social responsibility and environmental standards. And then he went out and created a company on the other end to meet those needs. Anyway, check out our other Tip of the Iceberg podcast episodes. In our last episode, we talk with Tom Singari, Vice President of Produce, Floral, and E-Commerce of the 12 Singari Family ShopRite Supermarkets in Connecticut. Tom talks about the modernization they've done at the flagship Norwalk store, sustainable changes, produce trends, and digital impulse buys. If you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button and rate us on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. It really helps us out. And have you heard of our free professional development courses at produceedu.com? There's a produce buying fundamentals course and a merchandising 101 course. There's a sustainability course. There's a strawberry course. Hey, showing your course completion certificate couldn't hurt when you ask for a raise or a new role. Remember, it's at produceedu.com. And turn over a new leaf for 2023, even in February or March or whenever you're listening to this, and enter PMG's next merchandising display contest, the Winter 2023 Produce Artist Award Series. By the entry deadline of March 4th, send us photos of your winter produce displays, especially for our categories of potatoes, broccoli cauliflower, winter greens, citrus, mushrooms, and Chilean produce. Email those pics to artists at producemarketguide.com. That's artists with an S. In this episode's show notes, you can find many ways to follow us for more produce information, news, tips, insights. 
and we'll have more of these great produce industry and healthy lifestyle conversations coming soon. Thanks so much. I hope you learned something useful and inspirational. Talk to you next time.